as we come together and we're going to just look into God's word and desire to hear from God, you can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, it's a book you may have never read in your life or even heard of, uh, but it's a good one. Uh, First and Second Chronicles, uh, they basically are a summary of different things that happen within the Old Testament, all the different kings, and uh, talks about David and Samuel, uh, and a lot of the kings. And so uh, we'll look at it today, but the title of the message is A Loyal Heart. So if you guys are taking notes, you can just put A Loyal Heart as your, as your title. And today, uh, we're going to talk about loyalty. And what do you guys think of uh, when you think of the word loyalty? What kind of things come into your mind? Yeah. Huh? Okay. An image of a lion. Okay. Yeah. Trust. Okay. What else? Yeah. Friendship. What else when you think of loyalty? Stand up with you for sure. Loyalty. What do you guys think? What pops into your mind? Some good stuff. Anything else? Her trust, stand up. What else comes to your mind with loyalty? You guys can yell it out. It's all good. Okay, I can't understand what you're saying, so it's all good. But loyalty, right? We, you guys can understand this, this, this concept of loyalty. You guys good? Yes? Okay. Now, within a biblical context and, and relating it to our relationship with God, this is what loyalty means. Loyal. Uh, to be loyal to God, it means to be fully devoted, to be completely his, to be fully committed, to be wholly his. And I, and I want you to think of loyalty today uh, in regards to a donut. And you're like, what? To a donut? You guys ever had a donut? You guys have never had a donut? Wow, I'm very sorry for you, right? Uh, Krispy Kreme. Have you ever had a Krispy Kreme donut? Oh, nothing is better, hot, fresh. It's like melting in your hand. You're like trying to get it before it melts off your hand. So good, right? But you get ripped off with the donut. Think about it. What's, there's something missing. The middle. The middle there's, I, I, you get ripped off. It's not the whole thing. You only get, right, if, if you get the circle ones, right? And what's missing? The donut hole, right? And you're like, well, what does this have to do with loyalty. You see, loyalty has to do with a fully or a something that's wholly devoted to something. You see, with a donut, we, we kind of, unless you buy the whole and stick it in the donut, then you get, actually get the whole donut, right? But loyalty, there is no this or that or, or kind of. You're not kind of loyal to someone. No. You can't be uh, kind of faithful to someone. That loyal is either all in or all out. And God desires us to have a loyal heart towards him. You see, he doesn't just want a piece of our heart or even uh, most of our heart, but he desires to have all of our heart. Everyone say all. all. All of our heart. This is what this word can loyalty implies. And when we have a loyal heart toward God, that's when God can do great things in us and through us. And so the question of the day that's going to be continual is, do you do we, do I have a loyal heart? Everyone write that question down if you're taking notes. Do I have a loyal heart? You see, the big idea or the theme behind today is we're going to look at a guy named Asa. Uh, Asa was a king, and King Asa started out with a great uh, loyal heart towards the Lord. But over the years, the loyalty was shaken, and he turned to other things. We will learn and look at today that it is more important how you finish 
than how you started. You see, God desires to show himself strong on our behalf, but the question today is will we let him? Do we have that loyal heart? Let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you that as we come to this place, Lord, that you're here to meet us. Uh, Father, we are here for you. I want you guys to repeat after me. Father, we are here for you. God, we're here to hear from you. We want to know you. Lord, we're not here just to hear from any old guy or any old book. Lord, we want to hear from your word and we want to hear your voice. God, speak into the deepest parts of our life. God, we want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Chronicles 16. But before we can get into 2 Chronicles 16, I got to share with you uh, the background of this guy named Asa. Everyone say Asa. A-S-A, that's just how you spell his name. Pretty short name. I like short names. I have a four-letter name. Uh, I'm, I'm appreciative for that, for sure. Uh, but Asa, pretty, pretty easy. King Asa. He comes on the, on, the, on, the, um, what do you call it? on the stage of the Bible in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and 15. Uh, you can also go to the book of Kings and learn about King Asa. But 2 Chronicles 14 is when he comes on the stage and he becomes king. Uh, he was the king of Judah for 41 years, uh, and for, during his reign, over 41 years, you can find in 2 Chronicles 14, uh, that it was mostly peace. You see, Asa was mostly a good king, that all in all, uh, the Bible says that he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, that he removed all the false worship that was going on, and that he restored true uh, biblical worship to God. And in the second Chronicles chapter 14, it uh, talks about how for 10 years there was peace, that there was all this uh, building going on, of the nation was prospering, and it was, it was good that Judah at that time had a military of 580,000 mighty men of valor. It's kind of a lot. So just over half a million uh, of men of war. And they, and they weren't at war, so they were just growing those numbers. But it, there's, there comes to this point, if you go to chapter 14, and it talks about how these, these uh, from the country of Ethiopia, everyone say Ethiopia, that these Ethiopians, for whatever reason, they come against Israel and they want to start a war. But you see, the Ethiopians, they were a bigger army than Israel. They had a million mighty men of valor compared to 580,000. So almost a half a million more men. They had 300 chariots, the Bible describes it. They were outmanned. But instead of Asa freaking out, uh, it says that he gets ready for war, but first he prays. And he says this, I want to read it to you. Second Chronicles 14, 11, you can see it on the screen. It says this, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God. For we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Pretty rad prayer, right? And it's awesome because you follow the story. And once he prayed this, it says that God came out and he defeated the million-man army. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if he used the, the men that Israel had or that Judah had. I don't know if he, angels were there killing people. It's crazy. But he defeated them on Asa's behalf because he prayed, because he prayed. Now, if you look at that prayer, does that seem like a pretty like godly guy? Yeah, it seems like he, he knows the Lord, that he's loyal to him. And then in 2 Chronicles 15, it kind of, there's this progression of Asa's life. 
And Asa just, uh, it, it keeps going good for him. That for the first time in a very long time in uh, Judah's history, that there's actually a king who loves God. You see, if you, if you go over Israel's history and all their different kings, we know about King David, right? Awesome king. Uh, king Solomon was awesome at first, but then it just got worse and worse and it got bad. That you look at some of their kings and they were just wicked, not, not following God, not wanting to worship him. But Asa was kind of a, a glimmer of, of light in the midst of a very wicked, uh, wicked nation at the time. And he begins uh, to be the spiritual leader that together as a nation, they were seeking God with all of their heart. And that's kind of 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And verse 17 in 2 Chronicles says this. It says, but the high places were not removed from Israel. Those were a couple places of high worship. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. Everyone say loyal. loyal. He was loyal. He, was, he, was, he loved God. But this brings us to where we're at today, which is 2 Chronicles chapter 16, where we will see three different things. We'll see Asa's mistake. We'll see Han a guy named Hananiah's confrontation, and then we'll see Asa's response. But this is where Asa's loyalty and love for God seems to kind of veer. It seems to kind of deviate. And there's a guy named Warren Wearsby, uh, kind of a funny name, but he says this. He says that good beginnings are no guarantee of good endings. You guys can write that down. Good beginnings are no guarantee of good endings. And it was true for Asa that he started really well, that he was praying and armies were being defeated, that he was establishing the worship system, that it was going great. But just because Asa had a good start to his kingdom doesn't guarantee that it was gonna be the same for his ending. And so we're simply gonna look at this chapter 16. Uh, we're just gonna go through the, the 14 verses that are there. And then we'll draw at the end some great applications on what we can apply to our life. Sound good? All right. So you guys, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It gives you a little history on Asa. And let's see, uh, this, the, this is the, near the end of his kingdom. Remember, he reigned for 41 years. And this is in the, the 36th year of his kingdom. Verse 16. Sorry. Chapter 16, verse 1. It says, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none, of, let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me, and as there was between my father and your father." See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Verse four, so Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of the armies against the city of Israel. They attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, uh, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. In verse six is where we'll stop. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. With them, he built Geba and Mizpah. And you're like, what is going on? Well, this was in the 36th year of Asa's reign 
over Judah. And at this time, the nation of Israel was divided. Have you guys ever heard of the divided kingdom of Israel? It was divided, right? There was Israel who was in the north and Judah who was in the south. You see, Israel, the king at that time was a guy named Basha. It's a really weird name. That's his name, Basha. But he did not love God. He did not walk with the Lord, uh, but Asa did. And so you kind of have these two conflicting. You have Basha in the north and Asa in the south. But Basha, this guy, the king of Israel, the north, the northern tribes, uh, he came down against Judah, against King Asa. And he started waging war against him that he started to uh, camp out in this city called Ramah. He started building these fortified walls in this city to be able to eventually advance and take over Judah. And so at this time, no doubt Asa's freaking out, right? Uh, I don't know if you know, but Israel was a lot more of the tribes than there was in Judah. So Israel was bigger. And so Asa starts to freak out. But if you can remember when the Ethiopians came against Asa and uh, Judah, uh, what was the first thing that Asa did? He prayed, right? He prayed like crazy and he prayed an awesome prayer that he deployed his troops, but then he prayed to God. But this time uh, he doesn't consult, pray or rely on the Lord. He actually does the opposite. Instead of when, when Basha, king of Israel, comes against Judah, instead of actually praying to God and saying, God, help us, deliver us, this is crazy, he goes to one of his enemies, this guy named Ben-Hadad. Uh, he was the king of Syria at the time. Uh, he lived in a, in a city called Damascus. The cool thing is, you're like, man, all these places and names. You know the awesome thing about the Bible, guys, is that the places that are in the Bible, a lot of them, they're still around, and you can actually go to them. He said this guy named Ben-Hadad, right? He was a king of Syria. Who knows that Syria is a country? Yeah, Syria is a country. Who knows that Damascus is a city in Syria? Still is. Damascus, Syria is still a place. And this is, I just love the, I just want you guys to see that. That this, is, this actually happened, this war, this, the, what took place here actually did happen. And so he goes to his enemy. I will just call him Ben, okay? Um, he goes to his enemy, Ben, king of Cyril. Uh, Cyril, <laughs> that's awesome. King of Cyril. No, king of Syria. And he goes and he says, hey, uh, can you help me out? He says, I know you have a treaty with Israel, the northern tribes, but I want you to break that treaty and come and help me. I want you to go and attack Israel so they'll, they'll leave us. And, and in fact, Ben, uh, I want you to help us so much that I'm going to take all of God's money and I'm going to take his gold and his silver that's in God's temple and I'm going to come and bring it to you. And that's what he did. That's pretty messed up, right? Instead of praying, he actually takes God's money and gives it to his enemy to help him. Not so good. Really good beginning, but not so good ending. And this eventually, this guy named Ben, this, the king of cereal, cereal, oh my gosh, that is awesome. So good. The king of Syria, I'm, oh man, I'm gonna start saying that. That is so good. Eventually, the king of Syria says, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and, and he attacks Israel and Israel kind of lifts uh, and, and now Judah is not at war anymore. But I want you guys to note that it seems that there was even a selfish motive at this. If you look at verse six, it says, after this, after that city that uh, Basha, king of Israel, was trying to build, uh, it says that now Asa goes in and takes all of the materials and builds his own cities. You see, if he did this the right way, just like the, he did with the Ethiopians, God would have blessed him, 
no doubt about it in my mind that if, if Asa just said, instead of taking God's money to his enemy, if he simply just said, God, help, I'm sure God would have shown up. Yet, he doesn't do it the right way. God wanted to step in on behalf of Asa, but Asa didn't rely on the Lord. And, but it seems like a success, right? It does, that you look at it and it's like, okay, Israel is now no longer at war with Judah. Asa did the right thing. You see, I never want you guys to see something that's successful and think it's right in God's eyes. You guys hear me on that? Not everything that is successful is right in God's eyes. And what Asa did was not right in the eyes of the Lord. He used the Lord's money in a very wrong way. And what we will see is that God sends someone now to confront Asa. That he goes, he, God's like, okay, this is not right. And he sends a guy named Hananiah. And so we just saw Asa's mistake. That was the first six verses. But I want you guys to look at the next few with me, the next three. Verses seven through nine, we're gonna see that God sends this guy named Hananiah, all right? You guys following? Anyone confused and completely lost? Okay, you guys are good? All right, look at verse seven. It says, and at that time, Hananiah, the seer or prophet, it says that he came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria, not Syrial, and have not relied on the Lord, your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. He says, were not the Ethiopians and Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. In verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Hananiah finishes talking to Asa and he says, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And so we, we get introduced to this guy named Hananiah. I got some crazy names. I, I just can't get over it. Hananiah, okay? So Hananiah, he comes to Asa on behalf of God. When it says seer in the Bible, it's just another word for prophet, someone who speaks on behalf of God. Make sense? So Hanani goes to Asa and he has a message for him. And he says, hey, you messed up. You didn't do this right. And, he, and, he gets a, and we get a little insight into God's perspective on the situation. He says, hey, Asa, you relied on the king of Syria, and by default, you didn't rely on the Lord your God, that this was your enemy. To rely means uh, to depend on or to trust in with confidence, to literally lean oneself upon something or someone else. Anyone ever have to use crutches before? Yeah? Uh, some, some of you guys, uh, they hurt your armpits like crazy, um, but you got to rely on them, right? Because maybe your leg is hurting or whatever it might be, but that you got to rely on the crutch. And it's in a similar word where... Uh, Asa was not willing to rely on God, and, and Hanani is telling him this. He even recalls what happened before. If you look at verse 8, he says, don't you remember what happened with the Ethiopians? You see, what happened with the Ethiopians was about 25 years earlier in his kingdom. When the Ethiopians came and they had a million horsemen, but God gave this great victory, he says, don't you remember Remember how big they were, yet God came through? And he says, Asa, why did you not rely on God? And he says, yet because of your reliance on the Lord alone, in that instance with the Ethiopians, God delivered. But how easily we forget. How easily we can forget about what God has done in our past 
with our future situation. That we, that we can remember back and say, oh yeah, God did that. But sometimes we don't take what God did and apply it to the present, but we should. We should remember that God is faithful and he is good. And verse nine, it says that God is looking. It says that God is scanning and he's looking for those that will be loyal to him, that will rely on him. Why? The purpose is that he's looking for people that will rely and be loyal to him so that he can make himself strong in and through them. And so he looks to Asa and he says, Asa, you acted foolishly. You done messed up. You done messed up, Asa. And, and, you're, and it's not gonna be good for you that for the rest of your days, you're gonna have wars. You see, this is what is happening. The Bible says that you reap what you sow. Meaning when you invest into carnal things or human things, you're going to reap corruption or destruction or human things, that, the things that don't last. But when you invest into spiritual things, the Bible says that you're going to receive, you're going to, inv- you're going to get back life in that everlasting, that God is not mocked. And so how does Asa respond? We saw Asa's mistake. We saw Hananiah's confrontation to Asa, but hopefully Asa is going to respond good. Well, let's see. Look at verse 10. It says, then Asa was very angry with the seer or the prophet and he put him in prison for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa even oppressed some of the people at that time. Verse 11, note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his uh, his malady was severe, yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. In verse 13 and 14, so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared and a mixture of ointments. And they made a very great burning for him. All these different customs for burial. But what would Asa's response be? Would he concede to the rebuke of Hananiah? Unfortunately, he seemed to be at this point in his life too prideful and wouldn't humble himself. He actually became angry with Hananiah and put him in prison. He said, and this was someone who God sent. And he says, no, I don't want to hear it. And it says that Asa even started oppressing or mistreating all of the people under him. You see, he had a great beginning, right? Didn't Asa have a good beginning, but not so good ending? He didn't finish well. That his loyalty started to diminish. It started to deviate. And this even continued, guys, until the day he died. The day that he died, he was still uh, not as loyal to God as he once was. That it says that he got this disease in his feet, that he couldn't walk anymore, and it was eventually going to kill him. But it says that during that time, even then, with his own personal body and health, it says that he wouldn't seek the Lord, that he wouldn't pray, that it says that he only went to the physicians. He only went to humans for his help. You see, there's a very great danger. I'm not saying that, uh, that we shouldn't go to the doctors. That's not what this is saying. That we should go to the doctors, no doubt, and do the means necessary, but God should never, never be left out. And so, Uh, There's a lot to learn 
Is there not? There's a lot to learn from uh, the king of Asa's life. You take Asa's overall life. Uh, he was a great king. He was actually one of the better ones. He even was described uh, in chapter 15 as being loyal to God all his days. And for me, this is encouraging. For me, this was like, oh, okay. If, if in chapter 15, he can be described as being loyal all his days, but then he messes up, uh, that's encouraging to me. Because you guys mess up? Definitely, I mess up too. But yet God would still look at Asa and say, no, he, he, was, he was loyal to me. But no doubt in the midst of his, this chapter 16, uh, his kingdom, the people, God's glory, and ultimately his life was diminished because of his actions. So then today, uh, what is the takeaway? What can we draw from this story, uh, this, this life of King Asa? What, what can we draw and learn from? Well, there's so many different things that we, that we could already take, uh, that we are to rely on the Lord even when the numbers don't make sense that we are to, to seek him and not think of success as a, as a reason for God's approval, all kinds of things. But I don't want you guys to miss something, and that's verse nine. We get an unbelievable insight into how God works, and I don't wanna miss this. The whole point and goal of today is in verse nine. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine, is something I want you guys to hold on to. It's a verse I want you to turn to. This is a verse I want you, this is, there's a few verses, uh, there's a lot of verses that I'm trying to put into my heart, into my mind, that at moments of weakness or at moments I need encouragement, I go to. This is one of those verses. I want you guys to know this. I want you guys to memorize this. If you have your Bible, underline, circle, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It is a good one. And it was in that, remember when Hananiah had to confront Asa? This, this verse nine, we read over it, but I want to kind of expand. I want to take a deeper look into it. And within this story of Asa, we, we learn something extremely valuable. And verse nine, I want to break down into three different parts for you, just to be able to kind of grasp a little better, okay? I want to break it down into the pursuit of God, the purpose of God, and the person of God. And you'll have time to write those down in a second. But look again at verse nine. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And so number one, the pursuit of God. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Not us pursuing God, but what God pursues. You see, he is looking. Everyone say, he is looking. He is looking. And he is looking. What, what does that mean? Well, it says that the eyes of the Lord. Now, does God have actual eyes? What do you guys think? No. You see, the Bible describes God as spirit. He is not physical. He does not have physical things. So you're like, well, but it says the eyes of the Lord. Well, God doesn't have eyes, but he sees. You're like, what? How does that work? He sees and he sees everything. Have you guys ever heard of a anthropomorphism? Probably said that wrong, but that's all right. Uh, basically, what an anthropomorphism is, is a, it's when you give a human attribute or characteristics to something that is not human. You see, God is not human, but there's certain things that God uh, says to us for us to be able to relate to him. You see, God doesn't have arms, 
But the Bible says that God's arm is not short, that he cannot save. So what does it mean? It means that God will show up. What does it mean that when it says that God has the eyes of the Lord? It means that he can see, that he knows. You see, and, and this is kind of, uh, can be confusing to us, but God sees. And so when he created us, he created us in his image, right? And he gave us eyes. God sees. That's the, that's the whole thing here. Um, and it says that his eyes, they run to and fro. You're like, okay, he runs. So he has legs then if he can run. No, <laughs> what, what does it mean? It means uh, when it says run to and fro, it means to roam and wander and to go here and there. It's kind of like scanning. If you guys have ever seen maybe like a radar scanner, like maybe in a submarine or aircraft, you know, where it's kind of the green, the green screen's kind of going and it's like beep, 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 beep. Beep, beep. You see, that's God. He's, he's looking throughout you guys right now. He's looking. He's like, who, who is it? And we're going to see in a second who is he looking for. But God's looking throughout the entire earth, the Bible says. Anybody and everybody, he's looking. He's searching. He's scanning. He is pursuing who? Well, before we get into the, the who, uh, we saw the pursuit of God. He's, he's looking. But we're also going to see the purpose of God. Why? Why is God looking? Well, it's to show himself strong. Everyone say, uh, he is showing. He is showing. He is looking and he is showing. What is he showing? He wants to show himself strong through you and in you. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about how God chooses people. He doesn't choose the best. He doesn't choose the mighty. He doesn't choose those that have it all together. No, he chooses the weak things. He chooses the base things. He chooses those things that he can show himself strong in them. I mean, think about chapter 15 with the Ethiopians, right? When they came up against Asa. You see, at that time in Asa's life, God was able to show himself strong. That God was, in a sense, able to show his muscles. That he was able to flex and say, look what I can do when you turn to me. Why? Because, why? It was because Asa turned to God. It's because Asa had a loyal heart. And that's the people that we'll see in a second that God looks for. You see, he will do it, but he's looking for a vessel. He's looking for a person. But what kind of person is God looking for? The answer, God looks for loyalty. Write that down. God looks for loyalty. That he, he's looking. He's got a, he's got a pursuit And his purpose is to show his strength in our lives. But who is the person of God? Not in regards to God's person, but what kind of person does God choose? It says, on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him, he is choosing. Everyone say, he is choosing. He's choosing. And who's God choosing? He's choosing those with a loyal heart. You see, it's not an issue whether God can do it. It's an issue of your heart. Is your heart loyal? And if it is, God's looking and he'll see that and he'll show up in big ways. Remember, loyal means to be fully devoted, to be completely his, to be wholly his, not holy, H-O-L-Y, holy in regards to W-H-O-L-E, whole is your whole life, God, that's being loyal to be fully committed to him. Think about this word, loyalty, once again. We talked about it a little bit, but what does it look like to be loyal to someone? 
Talk to me. What does it look like to be loyal to someone? Yeah. That they can count on you. Okay, for sure. Totally. What else? Think in regards to a relationship. A loyal friend. A loyal companion. Think about it in regards to a job. What does a loyal employee look like? Someone who's committed to the, the company. Someone who's all in. Isaac. Yeah, won't stab you in the back, right? For you. What about in a country? What does a loyal citizen look like? Someone who's actually going to obey the laws, who has the best interests of the country, or maybe on a team. Maybe you guys, for those that play sports, what does a loyal teammate look like? I mean, that he is committed to the team. And so to, be, to have a, a heart that is loyal to God is to be, have a heart that is for God entirely, that your life is not like a donut with a piece missing, but that your whole life is the Lord's. Every nook, every cranny, every crevice is God's. And the more you love someone, the more loyal you will be. You see, to have a loyal heart is to love God with everything and in everything. And there's one thing that you guys could leave with when your time in junior high is done, it's that you would love God more, that you would fall deeply intimately and madly in love with God. And you're like, that sounds weird. It is awesome. It is awesome to be loyal and to love God. You see, there's only one time in the New Testament that this word loyal shows up. You could look throughout the whole Testament and there's one part where the word loyal shows up and that's in Matthew chapter six, verse 24. You guys can look on the screens. I don't want you to miss this though. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will... Uh, hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money or material things. You see, the idea of loving your master and being loyal to your master, they seem to go hand in hand. They're, they could almost, loyalty and love could almost be a synonym. So you guys know what cinnamon, cinnamon, do you guys know, man, cereal, I must be hungry. This is awesome. You see, love and loyalty, guys, is a synonym. That they go hand in hand. Jesus quoting the Old Testament, they, it, he describes what God desires most from us. God says, this is one thing that God wants from you guys. What is it? Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He's quoting the Old Testament. And he said, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. You see, love and loyalty go together. But there are things in our life that can get our love, that can get in the way of our love for God and for our loyalty for him. You guys know about a guy named Solomon, right? We're, we're at King Asa in the story that we're at, but a few kings back, the, se the, second, the third king in Israel uh, was a guy named Solomon. It's awesome. He had a great beginning, but Solomon didn't have the best ending. You see, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4 says this, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as his heart of his father David. See, there was a time where Solomon's heart was loyal to God and he loved God. But that these wives, these people in his life that he shouldn't have had, doing things he shouldn't have done, it began to turn his heart. 
And we don't know what the details of Asa's life was like, but it seemed that something began to turn his heart. That something was getting in the middle of it. And whenever we begin to love something else more than we love God, our loyalty begins to change. Someone once said that a wife who is 85% faithful to her husband is not faithful at all. There is no such thing as part-time loyalty to Jesus Christ. That is so good. You guys hear that? There is no such thing as part-time loyalty to Jesus. For you guys, there's no such thing. I, I'm, I'm, loyalty, I'm loyal to God like 85% of the time or 95, or even 99. You're either all in for God or you're all out. There's no such thing as Sunday Christians. There's no such things as Wednesday night Christians. Are you loyal to the Lord? Do you love him? That is the question today. Do, where is your loyalty? Where does your loyalty lie with the Lord? I want you to really ask yourself, and number one, you, maybe today you're like, I, I've been loyal to God. Like, yeah, things have been good. I've been pursuing him. I've been falling in love with him more and more. Uh, Well, there's a great warning in the story of King Asa. See, just because you've been loyal in the past doesn't mean you will always be loyal. If you're not falling in love with God every day, then you're getting closer and closer to disloyalty to him. You guys hear that? If you're not constantly falling in love with God, meaning spending time with him and getting to know him and really getting to the heart of God in your personal life, then closer and closer you're getting to being disloyal to him. Give God your all and learn what it means to love God with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Maybe number two, uh, you've not been loyal to God. Maybe you're like, yeah, I have not. I've not given God my all, that there's areas in my life that I've been giving into and I haven't been loyal. Remember, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you guys today, if that's you, if you're like, man, I, I haven't really been loyal, well then change today. Ask God to give you a loyal heart and start to fall in love with who God is. You see, God wants to show himself strong on our behalf but do you have a heart ready to receive what he wants to do? I wanna, I wanna pray something over you guys. And you're like, pray something? Oh, what is, what is that? Uh, it just means I just wanna pray, but I wanna pray a specific verse over you guys, okay? Uh, this is, a, this is a, a, um, verse that David prayed over his son Solomon, that when David was on his deathbed and he was dying and he knew Solomon was going, David desired one thing for Solomon, and it was this, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 19. It's just a short part of the prayer, but it says this, and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes. You see, Jesus says, if you love me, not me, but him, if you love me, Jesus says, then you'll keep my commandments. If you love God, then you'll obey God in the small moments of life. And so I'm just gonna pray for you guys. I'm gonna pray for myself that God would give us a loyal heart today, okay? And then we'll close in a song of worship. God, I just wanna pray over uh, myself included. God, we ask that you would give us a loyal heart. Lord, I pray for these, uh, all the junior hires in here, seventh, eighth graders, Lord, myself, the leaders. 
God, would you grant us to have a loyal heart to you? Lord, do the work in us. We know that we are sinners. We know that we mess up. We know we are prone to wander. God, but that you would uh, ignite in us a fire, Lord, for you. Lord, that in the moments, the everyday moments of life, that we would choose to be loyal to you. We know there's no part-time loyalty. We can't be 85% faithful to you. God, help us to be all in. Help us to give you our lives, to give you our hearts. God, we love you. God, we worship you. And we lay ourselves down at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.